Coming up on this week's episode of Destination Linux, the number one video-centric Linux podcast on the planet, we're going to talk about the future of interacting with your computer with some dream hardware discussions. We have a very special guest this week with Jill. She has returned to be a guest host, and she's also going to show off uh, one of her amazing computers from her tech vault. And we're also going to be discussing the, some unfortunate news from the Mozilla team, as well as we're going to CS go for it in the gaming section. Yep, you're welcome. Puns there. Well done. Yay. Yep. Then we've got our, our popular tips and tricks and software <laughs> picks. And if you've not heard yet, we're having a DLN Game Fest on Sunday, August 30th. So go to destinationlinux.network slash Game Fest for mo- more info. And we've got all this and so much more coming up right now on Destination Linux. Pew, cute intro, but this time ah, it's so people Texas are listening. marching, marching down the road. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Penguins. It's, it's the map, the map of the road. <laughs> this episode of Destination Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. Welcome to episode 187. Destination Linux is your source for great discussions on Linux and open source. My name is Michael, and with me today are the Umbrella Academy's dysfunctional family of misfit heroes, Jill and Ryan. <laughs> we did it. That is, that, that is an amazing one. I, I, I applaud that one, sir. Uh, <laughs> Noah wasn't able to make it this week, so we would like to give a very special welcome to Jill Bryant Reinecker. Jill is a co-host of Linux Gamecast, LWDW, uh, Linux Weekly Daily Wednesday. That's just a fantastic name. And co-organizer of Linux Chicks <laughs> LA. Jill is also a teacher, animator, gamer, and lover of all things Linux. So thank you so much, Jill, for stepping in and co-hosting this week. And welcome back to Destination Linux. Thank you for having me again. This is so much fun. It's just yeah. not so nice to be with you guys. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome having you. And so let's find out what everyone's, everyone's been up to this week. And so we're going to start off with Jill. So what have you been up to? Oh, boy. So I am so excited. Um, I just got a new addition to my computer collection yesterday. And nice. I you need a- another computer, Jill? I mean, come <laughs> no. on. <laughs> No, but I am. I'm just looking. I was. I was actually jumping up and down. I was very excited. Um, this is the Zotac Zbox Nano AD12 1000. Oh, that's um, that's beautiful. It's it's really a beautiful little machine. It has a 1.7 gigahertz dual core AMD A2 1800 APU and Radeon HD graphics 7430. And you know, it came, nice. yeah, it came out in 2013, and I was wanting it then. Um, and it honestly, in 2013, it was only um, uh, just uh, about $304. So you know, that was a middle of the road price for these little mini computers, and for a net top and HTCP, HTPC solution, right. <laughs> home theater PC. <laughs> and what are they going for now? Is it around the same price, or are they going much cheaper? No. Like thirty to forty bucks on eBay, so what? go grab one. What? <laughs> that's why I grabbed it. It was on my wish list, and I'm like, "Ooh, that's cheap. Let me get." You one. know what's so funny, Jill, is when you uh, I saw it in the notes what you had got, and so I went and was looking it up, and I was like, "You can get one of these for fifty, sixty bucks. This is amazing. Yes. Like this with the specs for yes. a home theater PC to put under a TV or whatever. You could use it as a server, as a pie hole. You could do oh. all kinds of cool things with that." I mean that that price. I mean that's that's cheaper than a hard drive, you know. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. A little computer. I mean, it's it's very and, interesting. That's that's cheap enough where I'd buy it. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, I'm really looking forward to, of course, putting Linux on this bad boy, and you know, seeing what frames per second in some older games I can squeak out of it. 
because <laughs> that's that's always something fun to do. And with today's open source Mesa drivers, you know, it makes it breathes new life into these old machines. Nice. So, oh, absolutely. And awesome. so ha you haven't got a chance to put Linux on it. No. Do you, do you fear or have heard that it works well or do you not know and you're just going to experiment? Not, not no, and just experiment. That works too. Because uh, yep. there's no videos. I, um, I found maybe one with some with someone who had put Linux on it. <laughs> Very cool. Well, and, I can't wait to get updates on how that works out for you because yeah. you know at that <laughs> price you could pick up a couple of them and have them in, in rooms or even oh. with a lot of uh, parents having their kids at home and they need to log into these web classes and things like that. That's a very inexpensive solution. Yeah, Zoom Jitsi machine, WebRTC machine. Absolutely. <laughs> so yes. I'm going to be testing yeah. that on here and Discord and all the things. I'm going to have so much fun. The One of the reasons why it is a little cheaper, though, is that you do have to supply your own RAM, uh, sodium, right. and hard drive. But they're a dime a dozen now. Right. So I just I just picked up an 8 gig uh, sodium, and I'm going to put a <clears throat> 256 SSD in it. <laughs> and that's probably like DDR3, so super exactly. inexpensive. And yeah, yeah, it's not going to add much to the cost at all. Yeah, and I already have the hard drives laying around, so might as well put them to use. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't have a thousand sodiums sitting around as well on top of it. But yeah. I, I did have I I do have um I actually had a DDR4 sodium and a lot of DDR2s, but not three. So I not had to threes, go, of course. I had to go grab a three because those are all being used in machines. <laughs> That's how it works in my house, but usually with cables. <laughs> uh, I have 900 cables in baskets, and it'll be the one cable I don't have or that I decided to throw away last week is yep. now the one cable I need. Yeah, so Ryan, what have you been up to this week? Okay, so you know I'm moving, so most of my life has been revolving around that, but that doesn't stop me from playing and exploring with something new, and that something new was Ghost. Have you heard of Ghost? I had heard of it, yes. but never used it. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I've heard of well, Ghost. I'm, I'm, I've, actually, I've, done, I've done web development for many, many years. I think Ghost is one of those really nice, uh, it's, a, it's a static site gen, right? Well, it's a blog site gen, just like WordPress. Its competition really is WordPress. It's fairly new in comparison to how long WordPress has been around. So some of the things that you may take for granted in WordPress aren't there, but it's all based on a Node.js backend versus PHP, which, you know, depending on which one you learn and which one you love, people will battle and say one's better than the other, blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the day, Node.js is known for being extremely fast. And so I built my exact same website, dosgeekcommunity.com, in Ghost, which is WordPress, on dosgeekcommunity.net. And you can go and see for yourself the speed difference between the two. It is insane. And in doing tests and things, and I'll be doing a video on it, you can see the speed difference of load times and everything else between the two. It's also very intuitive and well laid out. It has a lot of plugins and integrations that mm. from third parties that you can add in. But you're not, you don't really have to. Like in WordPress, I feel like I'm always adding in all of these additional extensions and things like that for SOE or other stuff, whereas SOE is built in to uh, Ghost mm, and different nice. advantages. So I'm not saying Ghost is better than WordPress or WordPress is better than Ghost, but it's, an in, it's also fully open source and it's just a different alternative. And it was a lot of fun spinning up a server by the way, one-click droplet in DigitalOcean for that. So just they go to the marketplace, go get your $5 droplet, click deploy, and you know, you're know you good to go. You've got your ghost initial setup ready to uh, rock and roll. And so, yeah, I, I, I'm really excited about it. It was a lot of fun and easy to set up. And I think I'm going to be moving most of my site over to ghost. 
because I just want to play with something different. Sure. Cool. I mean, Ghost is a pretty cool system. I, I do like the the way they do it, but uh, there are certain things that I like about Ghost and certain things I don't like it because there are the thing the the main thing about WordPress is that it's technologically not the best, but it has so many plugins that it just kind of dominates the space then. And so I think that like WordPress is good for the people who want to have a an option of easy to go and also very non-restrictive because there's so many plugins. But with Ghost, you kind of have a, a really nice uh, approach to having like a really, really well built all in one package. So if the things that you need are SEO based or uh, membership system based or things like that, Ghost has those things built in, so it's a lot easier to deal with those things. But whereas WordPress has a lot more plugins, so that the farther you want to go with your site, the, you'll hit a roadblock faster with Ghost. But at the same time, there's you know every single system has a pros and cons to deal with. There's no perfect system by far. There's like Joomla, Drupal, Ghost, Hugo, Jekyll. There's a ton of things that are exist. But depending on what you want it to be, I think Ghost is a nice, happy medium for ease of use, all in one package, but not have a ton of overhead to deal with. So there the are quite a few things. Speed and efficiency are really important to your site. It's really, I think, something you should take a look at and just check out. And again, with DigitalOcean making it so easy with one click drop, like why not? So Michael, what have you been up to this week? Well, I've been doing a lot of rearranging of things. Like you could see on my uh, the, the single photo, I have a I'm presenting the bubbly for everybody to check out because uh, apparently <laughs> have that's, they sponsored us yet? Uh, no, I'm, I'm working on that's what that's what they're here for. I'm working on that, trying okay. to convince them and stuff like that. I don't like I bubbly. I think this bubbly is representative that that could be Coke or that could be something else if you don't act fast. I'm yeah, just it could you know. it could be <laughs> something. Yeah, it could be yeah. something else. I mean, I don't Mountain really, Dew could be there. This this is also going to be like a gift, a housewarming gift for your new house, so you can uh, you can have that because uh, I tried it and don't like Aww. it, so you can have them. Um, so wait, that's not a gift. Then you didn't have to tell me that part. If you would have handed it to me without telling me that part, I'd been like, oh, that's sweet. Yeah, but then you'd ask me why is you don't want. But you'd ask me why is the box open? I'd be like, well, because uh, it was it was testing. I had to make sure that this was good for I had you. To sample so, it. Yeah, I had to make yeah. sure <laughs> sample it. exactly. I'm actually really excited about the equipment I've gotten recently and I am so excited about testing everything uh, and I recently got a battery backup because Ryan yelled at me about why I don't have battery backups and I was like yeah fair enough so I got one and I spent so much time trying to figure out what's the best battery backup I could get and so I asked Ryan to just tell me what to get and I did and it was great so I, I am yeah I'm excited about having awesome. an, an actual like like basically what I have right now is a studio previously was a studio that was just like cobbled together of different things that I could make work. And now I'm having a studio, like a legit studio where the equipment actually is there to help me do it. So uh, I'm really excited about that. What is the battery backup you got? It's an APC and I think you got the, the 1500 best. VA. Exactly, Jill. See, yes. I'm so glad you said that because if you're like, oh, that's crap, yeah. I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> that's what those lights are right there because I do yep. have uh, quite a few power outages here in SoCal. <laughs> so they're expensive, they, and, and it's happened it. during my show. So that saved me. Oh, <laughs> nice. Yeah. My, yeah, they can be expensive. <laughs> I chose the APC because I was told to. And also, um, you, you were like, which which one did you get? Like, uh, I don't I don't know. You told me to get it. <laughs> I, yeah, like, I think it's the 1500 VA. And it's, it's something it's like that. more than enough. It's a beautiful battery backup. And they're quite 
you know, they're efficient and easily switching over from drops, even if it's a minor mm-hmm. drop, you know, where the lights blink. They're also powerful enough to keep your equipment on. And because they're meant to be in server rooms and things like that, which is why you're paying that kind of extra price, they're a lot less likely to have issues like, you know, setting themselves on fire on carpet and all of that type of thing. You don't want to yes. put them directly <laughs> on carpet, but they're just more efficient and better protected than the cheaper alternatives out there. Yeah, I was actually, I sent him, a, I sent him a link. It was a, I don't remember, but it was like one of those $60, $70 backups. And he was like, no, don't oh, do that. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> Not happening. Like, all right, cool. I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad I asked you first. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> you want to spend at least 150 to 200 to get a halfway decent one. <laughs> yep. I learned that almost the hard way, but luckily it wasn't the hard way. <laughs> Well, before we go on, I just want to wish a very, very happy birthday to Debian, which turned 27 today. (laughs) So happy birthday, Debian. And thank you so much to all of the amazing people who contribute and work on that project every single day and have made it what it is for 27 years, which even if you're not using Debian directly, (laughs) I bet you're using something derived from it. So it's just an amazing project. And thank you. And happy birthday to Absolutely. Debbie. Oh, my favorite distro turned 27. <laughs> there you go. It's nice. all grown up now. <laughs> I know. And I've been using it, you know, that long. I just like, it makes me feel old. <laughs> I think when Debian turns 30, it finally gets a discount on its insurance. So <laughs> this episode of Destination Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized, make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. DigitalOcean also recently announced new features and services such as the Virtual Private Cloud, or VPC, in all regions, free of charge. This lets you create multiple private networks to isolate your workloads. And also, we talked about earlier in the Marketplace system where you can do the one-click install. They have multiple Mm. new easy-quick install droplets from Jitsi, Minecraft Server, and also much more, including the Ghost thing that Ryan has checked out. And this is very cool options. You go to the Marketplace, you want to click install. It's it's like within less than a minute. But you can do that by going to do.co slash DLN, and you get a free $100 credit by going there, and that's good for two months for free. So it allows you to do, uh, you had $100 credit to do multiple, like over a dozen droplets of the $5 series, or you can do like a monster droplet, like for two months and just have a ridiculously powerful droplet if you want to do that. And that's available to you. And you can get started for free by going to do.co slash DLN. DigitalOcean is a fantastic company that we all use, and it powers the, des- the destination its network, and they power the forum, they power the infrastructure of our systems and, and how Even much they- they even host the are. DOS Geek website, which yeah, is I mean, probably they, awesome. the most, the third most popular website in the world. I think they they <laughs> host the they host both of the DOS Geek websites, and it's That's like right. and they're and, and they it made it super easy for Ryan to do, and you could tell that he doesn't know what he's doing based on what it looks like. But they made it really easy for him to set it up and That's right. <laughs> get it there. It's not their fault. I don't know how to lay out a website. Not, it's not their fault at all. <laughs> They're such a wonderful community. They also sponsor the Linux Chicks of Los Angeles and host that our is, website. Yeah. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah. So if if you want to host your website at DigitalOcean, go to do.co slash DLN and get started right now for that $100 free credit. And thanks again to DigitalOcean for sponsoring Destination Linux. Okay. Will writes us to say, hi, guys. Love your show. 
and listen to it every week. One question I have for Michael, though, is what are some good design tools for creating wireframes and site designs for Linux? I'm a developer, but I am trying to improve my UX design skills. Starting a new job soon, which will mean I can use Linux fully at work and home. Smiley face. Yay. (laughs) Also, listening to the last episode about having a standard way of reporting bugs in Linux was an awesome idea. What came into my head the whole time was Ryan should start a Python project to do this. (laughs) (laughs) He could start out with a simple CLI app where you type in what you're having a problem with and it would direct you to that project support or bug raising channels with instructions. Given how awesome your community is, I am sure you would get heaps of pull requests to add things in no time. Regards, Will. Oh, thank you, Will. That was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, So I think, you know, I'll let you answer the web dev stuff. But for the Python question, I just want to jump in and say uh, I did put an example of I did create a Python project for fun as part of my learning I am in no way ready yet to build something that anybody would want to use besides the Michael AI bot. That which is amazing. amazing. Yeah. I was just yeah. going to ask about the Michael <laughs> right. AI. Yeah, which is literally we've downloaded Michael's entire brain into a Python script that is about uh, 100 lines of code. It's, it's insane. It's, it's that efficient. It's so it's it's so efficient because it, it's actually it, I use the AI bot to help him with my weak thumbs. And uh, it's very it's very <laughs> helpful, and I appreciate that. You're welcome. <laughs> but uh, but I have put a project out there on my GitHub that is um, an example of a interface that you could use to do bug reporting. But what the community is focused on, what we decided out of all of these things, is on our discourse forums. We have you know set up for people to start getting involved in a project for quality control and getting involved in testing. Linux distros utilizing our community from around the world. And we're also, we're getting a lot of people jumping in to say they can help. And um, so if you are interested and have any web design skills, especially when it comes to database backend creation and things, we would love to have your help there. So right now we're just waiting for everyone to kind of come in and we're going to collect all those names and then set up some follow-up so that we can start building that out as a community, because I think it would be fun to take deal in and really become a part of some of the solutions versus just talking, you know, sometimes about stuff of actually fixing some things. And I think we could do a lot of good work there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm, I was blown away by how many people were wanting to, who love the idea and wanted to be a part of it. So if you are one of those people, feel free to join the forum. Uh, and as far as the response to the, the tools for wireframing, the wireframing is an interesting thing because the way it works is it's very minimal in what you need to do. So it's mostly just creating like boxes and drawings and stuff like that. So when I do wireframing, I'd use this thing called uh, draw.io. It's not meant for wireframing. It's not actually a wireframing thing, but you can do it because it's a, it's more of like creating graphs and charts and stuff like that and just drawing shapes. But because wireframes are basically just geometric shapes the entire time, it makes it a lot easier to do it. And it's also a web-based system. So it's just a web app that you can load up and have it regardless of what operating system you're running at the time. So that's the one I use. Uh, There are others. I just don't remember them off the top of my head. But I do think that Draw.io is one to check out for sure. And we also covered it in one of our episodes previously. And I think it was one of the software picks. So uh, you can check out the destinationlinux.org slash picks. And you can see all the picks that we've done 
well, basically the entire show. So all of that's there and you'll, you'll find draw.io there as well. Nice. Awesome. Well, we love hearing from our worldwide community emails like Will's. They are awesome. They help us think of things that we wouldn't have otherwise thought of and give us new ideas and sometimes even help us make fun of Michael and his weak thumbs, which is amazing. So if you want your <laughs> voice to be heard, you can send us a short email or video that might get incorporated into the show. Send your video links or emails to comments at destinationlinux.org. And because I'm the one who picks them, complimenting me helps you get to the top of the list. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I like I like how you're like, feel free to troll Michael, but compliment me and then it'll be on the show. <laughs> right. That's how this works. Like I'm not going to hide it at all. It's a little bit biased selection. <laughs> Just so you know. So up next in the show is something I'm super excited about. And this we're calling it Jill's Treasure Hunt. So last time we had Jill on Destination Linux, we received amazing feedback in the discussion we had on Jill's collection of older hardware. So we asked Jill to pick a piece of hardware from her collection of toys to highlight for this episode. So Jill, what treasure do you have to tell us about today? Okay, so I'm going to pick it up in just a minute. But some of the most unique hardware and computers in my vintage computer collection are my collection of mini computers ranging as far back as the 1970s. So today I'm going to show you one of my most valuable and favorite unique small computers in my collection. Nice. This is such great timing because I've just gotten into mini computers. So, oh my gosh, I can't wait. Wait, that's not mini. That's <laughs> <70s. laughs> It is is, uh, basically, you know, it has a laptop motherboard, but see the unique shape. It is so cool. I've never seen that before. I've never heard of this one. Yeah. Yeah. Very rare. It actually is one of the rarest computers in my collection and the local computer history museums have have this on their list of ones they want. (laughs) I bet. So tell me about this machine, because I guess for the people who can't see it and are listening to the show, how do we describe the shape? It's like, yeah, it, it's 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 a purple and yellow cuboid shaped kind of kind of teardrop, and yeah. um, the, the it reminds me of a car fender. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a good explanation. Of- <laughs> <laughs> it's even got racing stripes. <laughs> yes, yeah. and it's called the Curium PC, or the and and the model is the Curium CD six six three N. And that's QI or QRIUM for those who want to look it up after. It's got a CD ROM in the front. It looks like a power button. Those can't be ports yes. in the front. I'm guessing they didn't think of ports in the front, but no, they do. Okay, Actually, at the bottom. Yep. Yeah, USB, in fact, USB. No kidding. So um, originally, this computer sold for uh, $449 in 1998 to 2000. Uh, by Daewoo of all companies. <laughs> yes, Daewoo made computers. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and it has a Pentium 3 733 megahertz processor, 512 megs of RAM, which I upgraded from 256, a 20 gig um, Ultra DMA hard drive, and an Intel AGP GPU. <laughs> and what's really cool is that, of course, it originally came with Windows 98 SE, but I installed the Debian-based GNU Step live CD on it when I got it from eBay back in 2001. As is tradition, right? <laughs> yes, of course. I didn't even boot Windows on it. I just immediately put a live uh, CD in. I think Windows is amazing <laughs> to give me a base operating system to start installing Linux from. That's what I like. <laughs> yes, it's so exactly. it's so nice of them. <laughs> yeah. 
So, and I still enjoy using this computer for web browsing using Firefox. And I even created today's DLN show notes with it. So I, I no kidding. I that had to represent. Awesome. <laughs> I had to represent. That's amazing. I love that you take this this older technology <laughs> that a lot of people would be if they did keep it, it would be on a shelf somewhere. And you use this stuff in your day to day, which shows you how powerful and relevant really these older computers still are today. Yeah. You know, you're not going to go gaming and things on it, obviously, but you could still use it as a general purpose computer. Oh, definitely. You know, that's the beauty of Linux. It brings these old, you know, computers back to life because you can run all the latest software. It might be a little slower, but it still runs. <laughs> so <laughs> you did all of your note taking and things. So you, you obviously have <laughs> modern browser and everything on this device running. Mozilla how Firefox. much RAM does it have? Uh, 512 megabytes. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's insane. <laughs> That's awesome. And this this computer, there's actually some other special things about it. In 2000, the year 2000, Intel awarded this computer one of four PC recognition awards for innovative design to highlight new PC designs that merge innovation, simplicity, and design. And this was not just because of its unique design, obviously, but because of the ports, which are all USB, two front and two in the back, and not PS2, like most computers of that era right. had. You, you know, got most, your VGA most... port back there, your standard VGA and Ethernet port. And yeah. what's that other port? Modem. Like the power... <laughs> the modem. Phone modem, yes. Wow. <laughs> so no Wi-Fi on that unless you plug in a USB drive, I assume. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And actually, one of the other big reasons why it got the uh, Intel award, it is because everything on it, including the plastic case, can be recycled. And that's what really gave them that oh. reward. It's, pla oh, that's it's awesome. plastic. So, and, and I am a little worried, you know, it's 20 years old now, and I am a, a little worried that it might degrade a little bit because the plastic they used was, was intended to degrade over time. Yeah, absolutely. But it, but it hasn't yet. So thank God. So, so did that come with a matching monitor kit or anything? That you're yes, aware of? it had a okay. USB keyboard and mouse and then the monitor. But the mon they, they weren't colored. They were just generic black. Oh, I got you. Okay. <laughs> and there were actually two models, this cuboid one. And there was also a, a pyramid, a purple pyramid shaped one, which, which I never got my hands on. But that was the first one made. And then they made this one. So I'm still looking for that purple pyramid. but. So for There's, those who may not know, yeah. Daewoo is a car developer and yes. manufactures <laughs> automobiles and decided apparently in the 90s, let's make a computer. That yes. makes so much sense why it looks like a Fender. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Good observation. observation. And um, yeah, they, they even made laptops and then boring looking computers too. But this was their their you know first uh, goal uh, first approach to making computers something unique oh, and blown my mind it's awesome <laughs> and because the the keyboard and mouse were so generic i use my favorite one of my favorite keyboard and mice from that generation from that from the year 2000 and i'll show it to you we get more on the treasure hunt nice. this needs to be a thing man we need a treasure hunt with jill's show that's yeah, exactly. all it is, is just treasure hunting with jill through her own home you just go through her home and pick out stuff. Like, tell me about that. <laughs> so this is my very first uh, USB keyboard, mini keyboard. 
Um, they made unique, back when USB started, they made a lot of very unique uh, peripherals. And this was at the time very unique because it was hard to find a mini keyboard. And I picked it out because it had purple keys. So it matched the computer. Nice. <laughs> of course. Nice. You got to have matching historic <laughs> computer. Parts. Yes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. And real quick, um, Here's the mouse I use with it that everyone had to see. Oh, that is amazing. <laughs> it's <is> awesome. <laughs> so that the the mouse and keyboard are actually from the 90s. <laughs> so that's So for mouse. those who are listening, this is a mouse that is shaped like a, a penguin, penguin. <laughs> and is colored perfectly like a penguin with a little red scarf around its neck and everything. Yeah. It has yes. the scroll wheel, the two buttons are the eyes. Amazing. Absolutely yes. amazing. <laughs> I love so how you represent Linux in everything you do, including yeah. the peripherals. Yeah. That's well awesome. Done. That's my special Q Ryan computer. I love it. <laughs> yes. Well, that is an awesome treasure hunt. And I don't know, somehow we've got to get you back yes. to do another we, treasure hunt. We have hunt to have another one soon. at some point. We have to know. Cool. We just do a to. tour of Jill's house and we pick <laughs> something. Like, I want, tell me that. What's that? Like, we're at a real <laughs> museum, a virtual museum tour of Jill's house. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, the, the, and I was I was wondering what it was going to be, and it's like it's it's an awesome thing that I never knew existed, and it's like this. I had no idea. And it's also, and it looks it for something was from the '90s or like it, for that. It looks like a very slick or yeah, you know age. design. Yeah, like they they yeah. did a really interesting approach to that. So it's like they you know. they took effort into making it look good in this, and also have like a stylish like race car style. Which when when you first brought it up, exactly. I was like, that looks like a race car mm -hmm. kind of thing to me. And yeah. I, I think, and it's the fact that it was made by a car company is even more awesome. Right. Yes. And, you know, everything was a beige box back then. then. So this, <laughs> exactly. this was so innovative. And I was always, you know, I was case modding all my beige computers because I was so sick of the beige. You know, oh, I yeah. paint them right. and make them pretty colors. Oh, yeah. I, I remember the beige, the beige mo yes. model of computers. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the sharp edges inside them, too. Oh, <laughs> yes. Those. We all got have gotten cut from the, <laughs> those yep. sharp edges. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. building systems <laughs> yeah so we're, we're definitely gonna do this again absolutely cool <laughs> okay this is kind of this is actually really sad news um mozilla is struggling as you've probably heard a, a lot in the news it's, right. it's been widely uh, talked about mm -hmm. you know and and they were in the news this week with a second round of re reductions this year numbering 250 people and that was a quarter of its entire workforce that's massive. And, you know, with the coronavirus pandemic, which significantly impacted our revenue, Mozilla CEO Mitchell Baker wrote in a blog post, you know, one of the contributing factors. And, you know, this is fresh off the 70 people laid off in January of this year. And as the company struggles to diversify its paid and subscription-based offerings, such as Pocket, it's VPN service, it's VR chat room hubs, and new security and privacy tools. So sad. They're, they've been really hanging on there and, and trying you know, new forms of revenue. I really wanted to get your take on this too, Jill, because we've talked about the importance of Mozilla and Firefox. And yes. a lot of people mentioned today, I see a lot of people going to Brave and things because it has that Chromium engine. And look, you know, Google is investing millions and millions of dollars and has endless amounts of money to throw at problems to fix them and make things faster and more efficient. So there's there's really, it's almost an impossible task for Mozilla to 
be able to be one of the only, because once Microsoft moved Internet Explorer, they're really one of the only ones left besides Safari on a different engine that's not Chromium-based. So you've really got Firefox fighting this by themselves. And yep. mm-hmm. this, know, this impact that they have to their workforce is massive. When you're taking out 70 people in January and then another 250, first of all, yeah. I feel so bad for all the families and everybody because losing your job in the middle of a pandemic I can't think of something really, really worse that you could imagine in, in your career uh, taking place, especially mm-hmm. at that time. I do want to mention from a good news standpoint, I am so proud of the open source companies out there that are tweeting and sending out notes to these employees saying, contact us. We want you. You're obviously highly skilled. We have job openings. It's just been, I've seen it all week and I'm really proud to see the open source community and the companies that are at least surviving through this, looking to pick up some of this talent. But let's be honest, it's so many people, you know, maybe 50 of them might get picked up or something, but you just got a lot of people that are going to be struggling through this. But I don't know, what is the answer here with Mozilla? Is it a dead end fight to try to be this engine by themselves or are we forced all now to just be chromium based because it seems like that's where it's going i know it's just it's so depressing now i actually donate to mozilla every year and that's something that everyone in the community could be doing and um, that would really really help them a lot that's how thunderbird is getting a lot of their they're staying afloat thunderbird um, through sponsors and uh, people uh, helping out What's so frustrating to me with some things that, and and I know that it could be a result of, again, losing talent and things, but Firefox releases a privacy tool, which I, we actually talked many, many, many months ago in prior episodes saying Mozilla needs to diversify outside the browser if they want to survive. Um, I think this was last year we were talking about it. And so they they came up with some services like that, like VPN services and stuff, but then they don't work on Linux. And yeah. that's really, it's, it's kind of like the people who really love you, Firefox, is the Linux community. Like, yeah. we're, we should be your first target. Exactly. There, yeah. Not your secondary target. So I, I feel like they're making some missteps here in understanding who their audience is and the people who are interested in that because the people who are going to use Firefox over Chromium or even Brave and other things are going to be your highly technical privacy-focused individuals. So VPN service, perfect product, not making it work for Linux on the onset. Terrible, terrible launch idea. Yeah, I think yeah. that the, it's definitely a, an issue that they're, it's, it's sad that they're having to deal with this kind of thing. And I do think that it's difficult because of Firefox's importance to open source because they've been a, a exactly. very important project for so long. And they're also important to Linux because they're the default. uh, Firefox is the default browser for basically every distro, not every distro, but almost every distro. And it's because of that, their focus on privacy and security and making sure that it it, it respects your uh, your freedoms and stuff like that. So it's it's sad, not only because people are losing their jobs, because that especially in a pandemic, it's, it's it's sad in general. Uh, but also this because it's Mozilla doing it, it's it's even more like apparent that there needs to be something done to try to help the future of the, one of the most important open source projects that has existed for years. Uh, Here's my big but, fear, though, Michael, is that according to some employees that are discussing this on the social media site Knitter, which I'd never heard of before, but 
there were screenshots of it on Reddit posts talking about Mozilla cuts were so deep. It included the entire threat management team that handles threat detection and incident response. And so if you're getting rid of that now, again, this is just people talking on the internet. So maybe it's not true. Maybe they've moved other resources in, but it starts to look real scary, real fast. If some of this ends up being true. Yes, that does sound pretty bad. And um, maybe I'm just delusionally hopeful. I don't know. But I want, I, yeah. I want you be. to be, and I'm glad you and Jill <laughs> are, and we should be. And I think Jill's advice here is that if you don't want the entire internet owned by Google, essentially, and in control of Google, which we all know what that means, you better start yeah. looking at, if you can, giving some money to support this foundation, because once it's gone, it's all Chromium. That's yeah. Yeah. all that's left. That's scary. Like, that's one yeah. of the things that people promote Firefox as well. Don't just say, hey, use whatever browser you want. It's like, let them know why Chromium and Chrome are problematic to the to the well, the web, because Google controlling, they already control a lot of stuff and controlling the web would be just detrimental to everyone because they essentially could do whatever they want to the entire ecosystem of the web. That sounds terrifying. Yeah, definitely. Well, we did have a little bit of good news, fortunately, is that Google is expected to extend their search deal with Mozilla for another three years in November. And yeah, I'm pretty sure going to help. That will happen and that will definitely help. And uh, this will, you know, ensure that Google, of course, will continue to be the default search engine in Firefox until 2023. It's going to be around 400 million to 450 million per year, which is very significant. And Firefox needs that revenue because back in January, it was drying up when they had to lay off the original 70 people. So, yeah, this is interesting because wasn't it Microsoft gave a bunch of money to Apple back in the day to keep them alive from an anti-competitive standpoint? I remember hearing Mm -hmm. that. And so obviously Apple took that money and became the most uh, wealthy tech company in the world with it. But you never know. Sometimes uh, Google knows that from an antitrust standpoint, keeping its a competitor out there, period. Uh, probably has some benefit. So at least we can say, you know, Google throwing them that bone, that's the majority of their revenue, by the way, that they they reportedly said this is the majority mm-hmm. of their revenue comes from this one deal. Um, you got you to gotta give praise where it's due. Google is at least, even if it's for their own benefit, giving them a massive amount of money, keeping this, this alive right now. Because without it, there's no doubt that this would be probably their full employee base going away. Yeah. yeah. I don't like the fact that Google is the one that is, you know, I, I know it's good that they're doing it and it's good that they're, you know, doing this uh, approach, even if it is for the like the anti-competitiveness. But I just want to go ahead and say that uh, as DLN, I, I want this to be I, I want the community to be the majority, not Google, because that could be easily they could just pull the rug out from under them if they if they want to, even if it is at the moment, maybe like an anti-competitive thing for their own benefit. But maybe someday they don't they're willing to battle with the the antitrust thing or whatever. And I'd rather the community be a part of that. And I think DLN is definitely going to be a part of that. So we're going to DLN is going to be making a donation to Firefox and Mozilla to awesome. as a community to hopefully change that tide so that the the percentage is no longer a majority on the Google side. There you go. Yeah, we need to keep the, keep the legacy of Netscape alive also because that's you know Firefox's code comes from Netscape. And you know that 
that independent spirit, you know, our, our open source browser that even Google wants, you know, Firefox to survive because it gives them a competitor and it pushes them to innovate as well. Absolutely. You know, Mozilla has a lot of incredible innovations and actually just recently they're going to do hardware support, VAPI hardware support mm-hmm. for WebRTC mm-hmm. applications. And that's, you know, that's pretty innovative. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, look at the container system. Nobody yes. has the container oh, yeah. system. It's and the, the most innovative thing. Yeah. yeah. I think Firefox, I mean, not only it's not, it's not just like a dire thing of saying, Hey, Firefox is, is, is dying that we, we have to protect them or whatever. It's also because Firefox, in my opinion, is the better browser. Like it yes. just happens to be better and it's also having some issues. So I want to make mm-hmm. sure that I don't lose the best browser. So that's why I want to put some, we're going to put some money towards that to make sure that that doesn't happen. So I think yeah. like the container tabs is a fantastic example. The best feature of any browser period. And it's in Firefox. So if mm-hmm. you have never tried the container tabs in or multi-account containers, as they call them now, you definitely need to go Amazing. to check the check out Firefox and install that extension and just play with it and see what you can do. And I'm also making a video to make it easier to know how to use it coming up this week awesome. on my channel. So do that. And uh, yeah, so best luck and best wishes to Firefox because, well, I just want to continue to use we Firefox. Need yeah. We love you, Firefox Mozilla. So our security tip this week is brought to you by Bitwarden. Now, the security tip is to use passphrases in place of passwords, especially when they're a password that you need to memorize. Passphrases can include spaces or character delimiters, numbers, special characters, and they're much easier to remember than a bunch of random digits and numbers and your typical password when you have a random generator. For instance, like I had, I went into Bitwarden and you can have it do a random generation of a password for you. And I went from password to passphrase because a little drop down menu and it came up with and I wanted numbers in it. Sizzling six perennial wash basin. I mean, that is such an off the wall thing (laughs) that you could memorize it. But if you don't, then you just keep telling it to generate till it comes up with a random phrase. And the idea is you want it to be complex. You don't want it to be something like song lyrics or things that actually hackers could easily guess. So you want it to be random, Mm -hmm. but something you could remember words that maybe are in your vocabulary, but this is something that a lot of people utilize as their main password for something where they may not have access for whatever reason to their password manager on their phone or their computer. They're using Bitwarden, but they need to memorize that one password. Maybe it's their main password to get into Bitwarden. Using a passphrase is a really good way of being able to do that. Yeah, I think passphrases are a great solution for people who want to be able to remember certain things. But like you don't, you're not going to be able to remember all of those passwords, right? But you're also never going to remember those random gibberish passwords. But a passphrase is a good solution and an alternative for having still a powerful solution. As long as you do what Ryan said about like not doing something like a song lyrics or anything that is like a, a regular sentence and using the Bitwarden generation for passphrases is a really good option because it allows you to give like random um, you know, anywhere between like a couple of words to uh, like dozens of words to have it in between. But as you can you just like, put like characters, symbols and dashes and stuff like that in there. And it is very good 
that I, I think it's the one of the best solutions for people who still want to be able to remember certain passwords, but at the same time still have that security as well. But you also make sure that these words do not connect to each other. It's kind of like that uh, XKCD. That's why you need the random generator, honestly, yeah. because your yeah. natural thing is going to be use kids' names, pet names, and things that other people are going to be able to figure out about you and guess. Mm-hmm. So that's why you want that random generation in there. Yeah, there was like that that meme that's about, uh, I think it's XKCD that did it, where it's uh, making like pointing out how some passwords are not as secure as you think they are. And something like correct horse battery staple is a, is a lot better. Well, I mean, don't use that because that's from the meme, but something like that. <laughs> right. Well, that's why you need a good password manager. And the password manager that Michael and I and everyone on Destination Linux Network use and trust is Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync your sensitive data because you can store more than just passwords there. They also have a note section which I'll take advantage of to give information and secure and encrypt those notes that I may need to use at a different time. You can go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. But here's the thing. You could go with the free account and it's amazing that they provide that. But for just $10 a year, not a week, not a month, $10 per year, they're going to give you a gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, and Duo, Vault Health Reports, TOTP authentication, storage and generation, priority customer support, and more. You get all that for $10 a year. Additionally, you're giving them $10 a year. Giving them funds helps keep them alive, keep them open source. They also use that money to go out there and get third-party audits. So not only do you have the security of an open source community looking at the code and being able to view it and make sure it's secure, They also hire third-party firms to come in and do security audits on them just to make sure nothing was missed from the community as well. So it's something you can absolutely trust. We love Bitwarden and thank Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. So up next in the show, we're going to do our big topic, and it's going to be dream hardware in Linux. So with a hardware expert like Jill on, we thought it would be fun to go to discuss. You have the f- to. Yes, of, of course. <laughs> we have to discuss hardware in some way. So we thought it would be fun to do the future of interacting with our computers. We have so many emerging technologies out there, and we want to discuss what technologies we think will change the way we use and interact with our computers in the next decade to come, like augmented reality, virtual reality, that sort of thing. So for real, real quick, for those who are not aware, uh, augmented reality is where a computer images and s- stuff like that is superimposed over user environments via headsets or screens and goggles and things like that. Virtual reality is like a full environment replacement. So it creates a complete full immersion through a headset, through a virtual experience, that sort of thing. So AR and VR and other things that's like a combination of the two or something. Anyway, save me here on the hardware things. That's not my thing. So Jill and Ryan, take it. <laughs> well, listen, everyone's going to want to hear what Jill has to say here, because I think it's it's interesting. You are so focused in the historic. You have so many amazing pieces from the past. And during this time in the past, they were imagining what are new ways that we are going to interact with computers? What are new ways that these, how are these computers going to look? Are we going to need computers in our home? Are we going to need keyboards and and a mouse and those things? And these conversations have gone on and on. There's many talks out there from Steve Jobs and Bill Gates that imagined back in the day that we wouldn't be sitting here with a mouse and keyboard anymore. Even way back then, they were looking for a different way and as much as people have tried to implement new ways of doing things, different designs of keyboards, mm-hmm. you know, different ways of projecting keyboards onto desktops and 
all these aspects, nothing's really taken off past the mouse and keyboard. So, but there are things that are emerging here that I think for the first time we have the technology to make them quite amazing. I think cost is the big restriction here when you think of things like virtual reality. I mean, I love hardware. I still haven't put $1,000 into a virtual reality headset because it's just for gaming. And that's a really hard sale for somebody who has kids and my gaming time is shrunk a lot down. (laughs) Um, But then augmented reality comes in. And this to me is something that, you know, Noah is very big on this as well. He had the Google glasses and he showed them on the show before. It seems like you're superimposing images onto your environment. So now it becomes my navigation. It becomes my interface to my phone. But you really haven't seen this take off very well either. I mean, people have launched Google Glasses. There was, I don't know, some other variations from different Facebook, I think, and stuff have put things out there. Apple's reportedly going to be releasing something in this realm. But you don't see the excitement that you see when, say, AMD drops a new Ryzen processor. So what do you think, Jill? What What's going on here? Well, I think very, very, very soon, we're going to all be using touchscreens on every device and all of mm. them interconnected wirelessly. Um, you know, and I think that's very soon in our future. It's already, we're already starting to get the phone, um, you know, working with the desktop. Right. And um, this includes the likes of, you know, Canonical's Ubuntu Linux Convergence uh, that Mark Shuttleworth was, you know, really ahead of the time with that. And way back when with WebOS, with the HP touchpad oh, yeah. and Palm mm-hmm. Pre and Palm Pixie, they were oh, all. Oh, you're singing all... to me. Palm Pre <laughs> makes me so happy just hearing yeah. it. I love that. Yeah. This is the funny thing. is my like favorite I, phones. <laughs> I actually got rid of, like, I don't get rid of, I keep all my hardware really, but I had a, I, got, I was like, I have all these boxes, this box of phones. And I was like, I'm just going to put it in my closet. But I made sure to take out the one Palm Pre that I have and put it on my bookcase because that's the only phone awesome. I actually like. It. It's like, right. and it's Yay. I still like it even though it's I can't and I can't really use it, it's but I still aged want. Out, it. But it's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Like I still love yeah. WebOS. It's so awesome. See, same here. It's still one of my favorite OSs. In fact, I'm I'm using the uh, open source Luna OS right now on my um, OnePlus One. So nice. I got that nice. on there. Let me check that out. In the show notes, you know, I, I put lots of different options of what I think the future is, would be, but I definitely think touchscreens is going to be the the soonest. Um, we're going to get now. That when you sooner. say touchscreen, are you thinking like the Star Trek world? Because I know you're a big Star Trek fan, yes. which is one of the many reasons I love you so much. <laughs> but uh, you know, in in Star Trek, everything was on the panels, especially Next Generation. I'm talking about here, kind of yeah. touchscreen, right? It was all touchscreen interactions. There were no physical keys you were pushing. Is that what you mean when you say touchscreen or do you mean like the laptop where you're moving stuff on your screen with your finger? Um, I think, well, initially, you know, the laptop, your your main computer, there won't be as much of a future with the keyboard and mouse. Although, you know, that's still got to be there for us creative types and the right. create content. <laughs> right. But for the average user, I think, you know, their main computers, um, not just their cell phones and their tablets, but their main computers will be a... Uh, um, probably just initial uh, uh, touch mo- screen monitors like they are now that you can buy. So this is but, kind of the Apple world yeah. of the iPad Pro where they're basically, yeah. you know, the kid, the famous commercial, the kid going, what's a computer? And they're attaching an iPad now to basically, if you want a keyboard, if you want to use that, you attach it to a base that's magnetic and you've got the keyboard. But for the most part, everything's right on that screen, that one screen. 
Yeah. <laughs> so that's near future. And then in the far future, I think we're going to have, you know, the projected screen. We're going to have 3D holograms. And in fact, they're already working on holographic drive storage now. So that That's that right. has been, you know, worked on for a while. And I, I really see that, you know, that the world of uh, Star Wars and Star Trek, uh, those communication forms. And in fact, you know, Star Trek innovated, innovated a lot of what we're using today. You know, it's uh, true, yeah. yeah. Even with um, the use of compact discs and DVDs, that that idea came from the classic Trek episode "All Our Ye- Yesterdays" with Ataz the librarian, and they were looking at the movies in different periods of time on these discs, and that helped so inspire the, the DVDs and CDs of the time, which is right. one way we interacted with technology. The world needs more Star Trek. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, you know, the ability to talk to the computer in the original series. And now we you know, we, we have that now. Right. And uh, with the Internet of Things. And in Next Gen, uh, with the pad or personal access display device, which became the iPad and our tablets. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, science fiction breathes life in, in into the future. It's amazing how much privacy is holding back. Privacy and security are holding back the innovation at this time because obviously someone like me would love a whole home system that's, you know, efficient and well-made like an Alexa or Siri that I can talk to at any part in my house and play music or do a captain's log as I pretend I'm a captain walking around my house. (laughs) But what Star Trek never covered was the fact that what if there is a big giant corporation spying on your captain's log every time you entered it in. Mm-hmm. And I think this is what is holding <laughs> a lot of these technologies back is that the geeks who would be pushing this and telling our families, you got to get this and stuff are kind of like, no, don't because the companies have ruled out these products with mm-hmm. nefarious reasons built into them, purposes built into them. Yeah. And it's sad because all of our homes oh. at this point could be automated with these assistants. But I know people who are not technically inclined at all that will not put these things in their homes because they're afraid of what the companies are doing with them. And it's actually holding back progress. Yeah. yeah. We need the decentralized world and we need it now. There's yeah. all these, you know, open source projects for decentralization, but that does need to become a standard. Absolutely. So. Yeah. And yeah. also it's more, it's like the, the, the thing is you said that it's kind of holding it back, but it kind of has to because of what they're trying to do. So yeah, it's yeah. holding back the innovation for what could be, but it's also because they are trying to be as invasive as possible. They're ruining themselves. <laughs> yes. They're ruining yeah. the adoption of products because they're putting nefarious things inside. But, you know, moving on, because, you know, privacy stuff isn't as fun, although it's an important thing to cover. Mm-hmm. You mentioned holograms and this really struck me. <laughs> I wasn't thinking about holograms when I was going through the notes of this episode, but when you said it, the instant the instant image that came into my head was an arcade machine called the Time Traveler. Does anybody oh, remember that? Yes, yes, yes. The Time Traveler was a hologram like um, I don't yes. know, was it laser disc based or something like that? Which I think it was laser disc. I'd only yeah. seen it once. Yes. And so I remember <laughs> seeing this in our in the arcade as a kid because we had these arcades that we'd go to in the mall. I know those young listeners right now <laughs> yes. have no idea what we're <laughs> talking about. Uh, arcade? We our parents for Are you quarters. saying archaic? Is that what you're trying <laughs> yeah. to say? Uh, but these were amazing games. And this was actually a hologram-like entity. It was using mirrors, I think, to reflect and create right. a hologram-like appearance mm. of you were traveling through time. And the button timing never <laughs> really worked with the movie quite right. And it wasn't perfect, 
but we thought this is the future, right? The next, all the arcades coming out from now on have got to be hologram and they will perfect the timing of hitting your buttons and your character not reacting for until five seconds later. <laughs> they'll, they'll fix that stuff, but it, it never happened, right? We never got yes. the Star Wars chessboard. That's- we never got this. Yeah. The yes, funny we thing never is got 3D asteroids. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. The, the the thing is that there there are people doing holographic stuff, but it's all in like uh, experimental. Like they've been they've been yeah. experimental the entire time. Like there's now this thing you can do, you can get. It's like an attachment for your phone, and it sits on top of the phone, and it creates a holographic oh, yes. a, a projection at the top, like through mm-hmm. the, the 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 detachment. It's an interesting thing that is cool for like demos, but not really useful that much so right. but there also is like uh i mean i don't really want to give them credit but they are doing something that's kind of interesting with uh, microsoft's hololens and their demonstrations right. of hololens is pretty cool and it's fascinating yeah, yeah i really want them to like kind of go far out into that like test out that that space because it has a lot of potential because it's essentially ar but through holograms and I think that has a ton of potential. Kind of reminds Definitely. me of like, um, what's it called? What's that name of that movie? Uh, Minority Report. That thing where there's like, like yes, holographic screens everywhere and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Just it looks like you could maybe someday get there through the Hololens. So I hope that they do that and also decide not to be awful privacy people. So because mm-hmm. yeah. I want I want to play with that, provided that they don't try to steal all of my data. Yeah, I I see gesture controls going back to the minority report being a thing in the near future. Obviously, we're utilizing that quite a bit. It's becoming as our kids are growing up, they're used to utilizing gestures as a part of interacting with their phones. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I do have to ask, though, Jill, going back and you have some awesome ideas looking at your notes here that I want to get to. So we've got a lot to cover in short time. We're just going to have to have you back on this topic. (laughs) <laughs> but um, going back to integration, one of the things, as you know, I was playing for 30 days in the Apple ecosystem and yes. their integration was the number one thing. There were a lot of things I didn't like. There are a lot of bad things out there that, you know, are negative in the Apple world, such as repairability and things. But their integration is dead on. Like you get an Apple device, doesn't matter which one, their AirPods, their iPads, they all interact with each other. You can send stuff between them through gestures very easily or simple clicks of a button. We're really far behind in this, in Linux world. Like we can't even get iPhones won't even connect to Linux. Of course, not Linux fault necessarily uh, very well. Even the, you know, KDE connect is really, it's great. It's the best thing we have, but it's a far cry from what's happening in other ecosystems. So are we going to fall behind here? I don't think so. I I think, you know, open source will will come to the charge and, you know, people will start developing and maybe uh yeah, it, it actually that Ryan that's a good question because open source in of itself, you know, we're very, you know, we are very fractured. Right. But when we need to be, we can come together. And the nice thing is is like the Linux kernel for instance, uh, Linus always makes sure to include the latest and future you know, driver support in the kernel, which helps tremendously so that people can make the open source projects that then we can hopefully have them all work together. Yep. And you're right that that's going to be, that will be the challenge is to have a cohesive piece of software that runs a particular AR or or projection. To me, the only hope in Linux right now for this at the moment because like you said, some companies invested in it probably too early. And I've been a part of yes. company innovation <laughs> where we did things 
that now are super popular and everybody wants, but we did them at a time when nobody cared. And your natural reaction is to go, well, let's not go back there because we spent a lot of money and it didn't work. And so they kind of forget about it and they stop taking yeah. risks. But I think we have to be risky. We have to take risk in the open source community. In fact, it's the perfect place to take risks exactly. in the open source community. And you know, we, we're going to need to get ourselves there. But the company that's bringing us the closest, I feel like, is Pine64. And the reason mm-hmm. I say that oh, is definitely. their tablet and phone and laptops and the integration potential yeah. there is insane. Yeah, and if there was a collaboration between you know a, a company like Pine sixty four and another company that's doing the, that did the space, like uh, that would be amazing. Like the 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 potential there is great, and Pine sixty four is already doing a lot of awesome stuff. So I'm not trying to say that that's not the thing is, but I think that Pine sixty four has done has done a massively cool, innovative thing on the hardware level. But we still need yeah, that software it. piece to get there mm-hmm. as well. So I think that if there was a, a combination between them and another company, that would be amazing. Um, but I'm going to be a little bit negative, uh, sort of, you said something about like, are we falling behind? And I, I, I'm no, we are not falling behind because we're already behind. So we, it's, mm. we're, we're already in that position. It's true, but it's <laughs> and, important we say that because it's, you said it's negative, but honestly it's not. It's really saying, I think as a community, Linux popularity has grown far past what even four years ago, I would have imagined it oh, would yeah. become. But yes. we can't just sit in neutral, as I tell my teams all the time. If you if you want to become worthless, just sit in neutral and do the same thing you've been doing year over year over year. And eventually, you'll find yourself out of a job because that's how it works. If you think, I'm really good at this one thing and I keep doing it, and I just keep doing that, eventually, the company passes you by. The world passes you by. And in Linux, we're being passed by. Right now, it's important to talk about in the integration realm. We are passed by. Believe me, we are passed by. Yeah. In mm-hmm. playing with the Apple ecosystem, we are passed by in that area. Now, we can catch up, and we could probably catch up oh, faster yes. than anybody else. But it's important to talk about it, because if you don't talk it about is, it, and you're not putting in that into the developers' heads, then they're not going to be thinking about that. They're just going to be thinking about, how do I interact with the computer with a keyboard? Yeah. Well, that's not the future. And that's exactly the point. Like when I was saying it, it was like, eh, but it's also because I want them to look at the potential of what it could be. Like, for example, KDE Connect is fantastic. It is so powerful in what it can do. But certain things that it can do are just limited where they're not quite there. Like there are certain things you could do with KDE Connect that a lot of people don't even know you can. Like you could have it where you set up scripts that you can run from your phone on your computer through KDE Connect. But in order to do that, it's a lot like it's fairly involved to get it to be done. But you could do it. And if they just made that sent that process simpler and an easier, straightforward way to doing it, you could make KD Connect as the, the full convergence of what it could be. Like it has potential to do that. If we just had a, a the community, like instead of trying to make like different forks of KD Connect, like GS Connect and all these other things that are, people are trying to do. If we just had people working together to make KD Connect what it could be, because a lot of people don't even realize that KD Connect is not specifically for Plasma. It works on all DEs. You can use it wherever you want. And, and there are spins of it renamed, which yes. just basically yeah. KDE Connect. Right? <laughs> and they're basically the same thing and they just rename it. But And also some of them even depend on the KDE Connect Android app to make it work. So you still need to get the KDE Connect thing. So like if we just all collectively was like, you know what, this is what we, we see this as a huge potential. Let's all get behind it and make it what it can be. Like if that was to happen, I Excellent. think that we would, we would be able to jump ahead very quickly. One more so interesting true. note on that, Michael, is I was looking at a article, I think it was from 
the Dora magazine or Red Hat, and not to pick on them because I see it all over the place, but it was just the one that happened this week. And it was like, hey, I think it was easily integrate Jack or something with Fedora now. And then you open it up and it's like 80,000 terminal commands. And I'm like, this is yes. not <laughs> the integration. This is not yeah. when you when you put an article out like that, this is not what people were thinking of is hitting the terminal and putting all of these commands in to get it to function. That, yeah. No. Here's a quick tip for UX. We had a, we had a question earlier like in the feedback. Someone asked about UX stuff. Uh, one, just as a tip for all projects, regardless, if you want to use the word simple and easy and you put command line related to it, you are wrong. Yeah. Just don't. If you have to, you Nothing rely on the command. command line. Yes, the command line's awesome. Together. Yeah, the command line's awesome. It's you could say it's faster, sure, more efficient, sure, more powerful, sure, but easy. No, because your perception of easy is not the same as a beginner user or an average user or someone mm-hmm. switching over to it. So when they see those terms. They are expecting it to not require them to start running commands and making sure the different pipes are working and all this other stuff. Need to like refocus. Apple commercial would have been that kid in the grass going, "Mom, what's a terminal?" That would Uh, that that would be yes, that would be accurate. (laughs) Jill, before we move on, because we're I I want to close out this segment, but there was one thing here that was so critical. I wanted to touch on is you were talking about neural implants, and I wanted to see what your thoughts were on this. Yeah, I definitely think in the far future that is definitely, you know, it's going to be a thing. And we could we could have AR and VR in our eyes with neural implants. And Imagine that. you know, that would be amazing. It's something, you know, through reading science fiction and watching science fiction through all the years. I, I know it's going to happen because people are right. starting to put chips in them to do certain things and and for people who have physical disabilities, they're starting to do that. Right. So, I run arch in my eyes. Yes. Love it. <laughs> Everyone, we'd all love to have Linux inside of us, right? Right. <laughs> of course. Kernel. <laughs> now, instead of Intel inside, it'll be Linux inside. And it's literal. We literally mean it will be inside you. We could but, be our own Internet of Things or or soft <laughs> system on chip. Right. <laughs> and my arm is Michael's Wi-Fi hotspot when we're traveling. Perfect. Uh, there you go. <laughs> Perfect. I mean, Elon Musk is actually trying to work on something like that right now. So maybe we're yes. even getting to that point to someday <laughs> do that. Uh, I, I'm very terrified by that. So just give me goggles yeah. first. But, you know. The same here. <laughs> yes. help with your weak thumbs. Oh, in that case, just, yeah, just inject whatever weird chips and stuff. Because <laughs> I need to get rid of the weak thumbs. Michael, oh. the Michael AI needs a custom keyboard so that he doesn't have to use his thumbs as much. Yeah, because they're really weak. <laughs> all right <laughs> let's just end it there what a great what a great closeout that's the best closeout ever <laughs> all right in our gaming section this week i want to cover first august 30th right after destination linux live if you're a patron immediately after that we're going to take a short break and at 4 p.m eastern we are going to be gaming for dln game fest so you're going to play a bunch of games like tux cart Zonotic, Gang B, Shell Shock, Golf with Your Friends. Noah's going to be there. I'm going to be Jill. Can, can yes, a- I am going to be there. Awesome. I put it on my calendar last week when you made well, the announcement. <laughs> we awesome. might even be able to get some discussions in on the future of gaming and make Jill do a treasure hunt. Who knows what could happen on DLN Game Fest, <laughs> but make sure you are there and, and get ready. Get those games installed to play. But this week, I wanted to cover CSGO gets more enhancements. Now, CSGO, for those who are hiding under a rock or maybe not interested in gaming, 
is probably the most popular competitive tournament first-person shooter out there. It's been around since 2012, the CSGO version. I think it was even well before then, the original. Yeah, it's like I think the first one was like 2002 or something. Yeah, so this game's been out for a while, and it is a game made by Valve. It's one of the things that made Valve popular, one of the many mm-hmm. games that made Valve popular mm-hmm. out there. It's a fantastic game. Michael and I had one of the greatest gaming sessions of all time on this game. And yeah. it was the one time we were like, let's not do it live, which was the dumbest mistake ever because I wish you all could see how terrible we were. This is when CSGO released their missions. Yeah, they released their missions. you have to go in system. there and you collaboratively go to beat these missions. We could not get past the boat <laughs> where you just arm yourself because we were blowing each other up. We were doing all kinds of stupid shenanigans. It was insane, but so, it's, it's a fun game. This is it's a really fun game, and I also want to give you a little bit of extra information. And I think what you know when you were saying that we have we we, we should have streamed it. I think we still could because do you remember how we beat it the first time? I, I no don't idea. remember at all. Like <laughs> it would be just so, as bad the second so time. it would probably be just as bad. <laughs> so we could do it. But I also wanted to tell you what because I never, I didn't tell you this at the time, but I cheated. It was because well, technically, sort of. You, Michael A. So, 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 so I have a, I didn't cheat the game. What I cheated is that I played with someone else who told me how to fix it and how to do it. And then we went. And then I came back. I was like, hey, did you, you cheated. <laughs> but I don't remember what the solutions were. So I don't, I, we, we, it would be right back to normal. But it was like uh, the guy I play with Rocket League with, you know, my, my, my duo partner, Sweet Mormon Bunny is the guy we were talking about. And he plays shooters games with us. And we right. would and I was like, "Hey, have you ever played this?" He's like, "No, I haven't played this before." And then we play it, and he's like, "So good at shooting these these shooter games that we beat it in like three tries." <laughs> I was like, "I'm just gonna watch what happens." <laughs> no wonder when we went back to finally beat it, you're like, "Why can't you jump up here? You just jump up here and then go across this and jump down." I'm like, "How does he know this? How has he figured this out?" Yeah. Now it all makes sense. Yeah, I, I figured um, it out by someone else telling me how to do it. <laughs> uh, Jill, have you ever played CS:GO? Yes. In fact, uh, over at Linux Game Class, we played uh, Counter-Strike Global Offensive, the forever yeah. alone mode. And <laughs> um, <Love it>. Fantastic. <laughs> that's what we call it. And in fact, we used a digital ocean droplet to play that game. Nice. To our hearts it, here. When nice. it came out. Yeah. Very cool. And it was a lot of fun and it worked. The droplet worked great. great and we had 16 players playing. So that's that was amazing. really cool. And I had not played um, Counter-Strike strike too much until that particular um version came out so yeah and it's so neat that they're continuing to add in battle arenas and keeping it current with the trends going on with gaming considering how old it is but they still keep it current and it's still one of the most accurate shooters that's why a lot of the tournament gamers like to use it because the projectiles of the bullets and the timing between the keyboard and or the latency, I should say, between the keyboard immediate. and the character actually happening is near immediate, which is why people love it so much. And that's one of the key elements. But they've added things like weapon skins to the new Fractured Weapon series featuring designs from over 17 community artists in there that they've added. in. That's cool. And they've made the Shattered Web Knives a rare specialty item, better and faster matchmaking, nice. map updates and FPS optimizations. New anti-cheat system that blocks certain apps from running while you're in-game. This is a big problem in CSGO because Mm. it's so popular, because it's so competitive. 
and people want to win these items and things out there, they will sometimes cheat and ruin the game. There's a lot of cheaters. I was watching yeah, this streamer one time. It was like this, there was like a compilation of things, and there was t- two things I want to tell you. There was a streamer, and they were like, "Oh, I can see through their walls." I was like, I don't know how this happened. Is this a new feature? And it's like, N- you have a hack on. It's obvious you have a hack on. And then the next one was uh, someone made. This was the best thing ever. They created a thing in CS:GO where it's designed to be. It's a hack you install that actually screws up everything. So by installing oh, cool. this hack, it would like you throw a grenade. It would lock you to that position where the grenade just destroys you. <laughs> and then oh, every time God. you shoot, it would like if you sh- if you shot with this hack on, it would throw your gun at them. So you have no gun anymore. <laughs> It's just fantastic. Yeah. Well, they've got texture fixes, bug fixes, and many more enhancements. Never a better time to go play CSGO. Just don't expect to survive very long because the players who have been playing it since the 90s uh, will own you, but you can still have a ton of fun with it. Yeah. Yeah. The first time I played it, I was like, let's play this. And and we went into like a lobby and it's like, no, we can't be in here. No, it was can't. like just the random lobbies like oh you're new here you go yeah good luck <laughs> i mean right. if you were if you're new but also good at the game you'd probably be okay but we're not good at games so that's what happens yeah. <laughs> we're new and bad at games so yeah no. <laughs> new and bad <laughs> combination <laughs> okay so we're continuing our exploration of the linux file system in our tips and tricks section last time it was slash boot and so this week it will be slash dev and so far we've covered slash temp slash bin and yes slash boot so slash dev is a directory in the file structure that's important to remember as you will find your devices here ranging from storage devices to things like webcams or other peripherals such as external storage or usb drives and this is something very very important remember that everything in linux is a file and that's one of the beauties of this operating system (laughs) data is passed from an application to the device file in slash dev which then passes it to the device driver which then sends it to the physical device right yes it sounds like (laughs) it's a big roundabout way of doing things but it's but efficient. It's, it's very efficient. It's yes. extremely efficient. And once you get used to that, that going into slash dev to find the drives that you've mounted and things, it becomes second nature. But I remember yes. the first time being in Linux four years ago going, what is happening here? What is mm-hmm. what is this file system and what slash dev and how do I go navigate to it? it? It was kind of crazy. But once you get it, it's second nature and just makes sense. Yeah. Have you guys ever edited devices? yes yes cool i think i have but following somebody's guide where i'm pretty much just typing in what they're telling me to but yeah yeah i had to figure out certain like in environmental variable structures to do something for one of my like i was trying to do something really silly and it was to take two keyboards and have one they're both basically they're just regular keyboards but having one keyboard detected as a separate in thing that didn't use actual keys it would didn't its oh, own okay. separate signals in order to do that yes. you had to view a lot of different oh, environmental shortcuts. variables and changes and yeah. stuff like that and it was really cool i got it to work and then after all of that i had to uh well basically i had some hardware issues and i replaced my hardware and then i was like i don't want to do it again i'm just gonna <laughs> go get a, a macro keyboard <laughs> That was me and Jack Audio. Like I set it up once, had it perfect uh, in a system, and then I was like, when I re- when I re-imaged the machine, I was like, eh, I'll just stick with Pulse Audio. And I found a way to fix Pulse Audio to do what I needed Jack to do. So that was yep. my fix. 
I did back in the day with sound cards that weren't supported under Linux, getting them to work. Oh, Oh, nice. (laughs) That's that's way more useful than what we did. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Up next is our software spotlight. And it is a thing I will totally say wrong. So I'm going to tell it in multiple different pronunciations. Uh, Ciano, Ciano, Keanu, Keanu. Yes, sure. Why not? It's a, it's C-I-A-N-O. It is a GUI to convert multimedia files to the most popular formats. You can do conversions of multiple files at the same time. It has the possibility of changing the output folder. It also has notification support when things are completed. And you can also do like an easy, uh, you know, kill the application really quickly with the control Q a, a shortcut. So that's kind of thing of like, just in case it starts doing it and you're like, I don't really want to do it this way. You can fix it that way. And it's, it's really, uh, it's a really interesting approach to using FFmpeg in a, GUI style because I have you know EvaVimpeg is a fantastic tool for conversions. It is super powerful. It is um, amazing, really, yeah. and it is ridiculously powerful and at the same time ridiculously confusing and complicated and complex. The switches and, aren't always mi- very yeah. uh, intuitive. The, yeah. And also the order of when you do certain things can break other things you do in later order. It's 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 a it's a mess. So when Ryan showed me this, I was like, okay, this has a lot of potential. It's a GUI for FFmpeg that makes it a lot easier to do like MP4, MPEG, AVI, WMV, FLV, MKV, OGV, like with all it. this stuff. I took a movie I recorded Aww. on OBS and nice. just made a, a GIF. And the one thing I'll tell everyone when you get this is I spent a little bit, I almost took it off of our spotlight because I, it was giving me this error message because it doesn't default set up where your save preferences are going to be. So it kept giving like this directory that you're trying to save to doesn't exist. I'm like, well, what are you trying to save to? Where, what are you trying to do? But if you go into the preferences first, as soon as you install it and select where you want the file to be saved, the converted file, you're good to go from there and everything worked beautiful after that. So just a little tip, when you first install it, make sure you go to the preferences and select the save directory. And then I was able to easily take, you know, MP4s and things and turn them into GIFs and, you know, have a lot of fun with it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Wow. Like the, the being able to do that really nicely going from videos to images and the GIF style is a really cool approach, especially with like a GUI style of doing it. And just a quick note for those people who are, you know, the, maybe the developers will check this out because the the reason you have that is because you're not doing a default. Your default should just be like your home folder. So just do like a home variable right. and it should be a lot. It'd be a lot easier that way. So uh, just you do try it out. Be sure to make sure you go and change that directory so it works. I like the the approach that they're doing it because FFmpeg is awesome. And it's also a terrible experience to try to figure out how to run it. And now you don't have to figure it out. And that, that my friends, is the proper way of using the word easy. There yes, you go. <laughs> it's actually even easier than Handbrake, um, which which I use all the time, or VLC or some of the other tools out yeah, there. I love Handbrake. Oh, it's such and a good tool. I love FFmpeg. Uh, I, I actually create virtual cams with it. It's oh, yeah. one of my favorite utilities to use, and it is you know the back end of most of our multimedia apps under yeah. Linux. Yeah, it basically it's, it basically powers everything. But <laughs> exactly. It, yeah. <laughs> But that's also great because we have that one thing that powers all this great stuff. And uh, mm-hmm. Ciano or Keanu or Keanu Reeves. Yes. Keanu, <laughs> Keanu Reeves is <laughs> that's one of the things that it powers. By the way, if you want to show some love to FFmpeg, they have a donation page out there. Yes. PayPal, credit card, money order, bank transfer. You could do it all there. So check out <laughs> FFmpeg.org because they deserve it, don't they? I think they do. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, FFmpeg definitely. is very important. <laughs> I contribute yeah. to them yearly, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> 
So a big thank you to each and every one of you by supporting us, watching or listening to Destination Linux, however you do it. We thank you so much. And if you want more DL, become a patron like all these beautiful faces here that got to experience all of the in-between segment commentary with Jill. Every mm -hmm. time we have Jill on, we get this amazing outpouring of feedback. Everybody loves Jill and as they should, because she's amazing. Oh. <laughs> and so thank you so much for showing all that love and support there as well. But if you want to get all that inside conversations and extra information going on, you should become a patron because that gives you perks like unedited versions of the show. So even if you couldn't be here with us today, you could still go back and see all of the fun that we had. And all of the trolling of Michael that happens live, live, I tell you. <laughs> it does happen live. That is yeah. true. And often. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's we mostly don't. Ted's fault, but I mean, whatever. Uh, <laughs> so if you also, you can check out the Destination Linux Network store, uh, DLN store, and you can have uh, swag related to t-shirts, hug, yes, exactly. And awesome, <laughs> awesome shirts. We all represent in the DLN swag, and you can check yeah. out the T-shirts, hoodies, mugs, and so much more. And we can, we actually also have stickers now for people who Yay. didn't believe me that that was going to happen this week. It that happened this week. Yes, it was that definitely would be Ryan. Me that didn't believe you. <laughs> so it has happened. You can go to the DLN store and check out the stickers for all of the all the great shows and stuff like that on Destination Linux Network. And make sure also to join the DLN community. We have our DLN discourse forum, which I'm on every week, and to discuss a variety of open source and Linux topics. And for interactive chat, check out our Telegram group, where over a thousand members go to hang out. If you want to game with the community, we have a Discord server as well. So we'll be making good use of that on August 30th. And for those who have been nice. following the show, yes. I make Noah say ridiculous things. Yeah, I was about to say that. I was about to say, I'm so, so I'm messing with Jill, you know? I'm not messing with Jill. She'd hack my computer in a second. I'm not messing with her. So she got a nice, easygoing one there. Um, speaking of which, Jill, where can people find you? Ever You are on a lot of other platforms we want to give a shout out to here so that people can Aww. listen to you each and every week. Okay, I'm over at linuxgamecast.com. And I do the Linux news show on Wednesday called Linux Weekly Daily Wednesday. And awesome. we do that every week. And I'm also on game streams. And, and I'm the community manager or the morales are <laughs> for Linux Gamecast. And I'm personally a patron. <laughs> love everything that you do over there. So everyone Aww, needs to definitely go you. check that out. <laughs> and if you want some more content, we also have a lot more that is definitely too legit to quit. I'm going to bring back some ridiculousness. Wow, look at you. There you go. So hip. <laughs> go to, exactly. Go to the DLN website <laughs> at destinationlinux.network where you'll find all sorts of open source goodness from podcasts to YouTube channels and so much more. So everybody have a great week and remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks everyone. Love you. <laughs> yeah. I like it. it's the Vulcan one. Yeah, I like yeah, it. Yeah. It's yeah. awesome. There's our screenshot. <laughs> uh, you're so awesome, Jill. Thank you for joining us. Patrons, you can turn on your mics, your cameras, ask Jill questions, come hang out with us. Solo wants to ask Jill, what's the oldest computer you own? Oh boy. That would be my PDP-11 terminal. Why does anyone have a PDP-11? <laughs> because it's Jill and she's amazing. Yeah. I know, but a PDP-11 is an awful computer. Yeah. <laughs> it's an actually legitimately terrible computer. It's, it's huge. It won't even fit in this room. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, 